0: It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.
1: If you like this show, you're going to love your welcome with Chael Sonnen on Podcast One. Join the UFC superstars. he interviews the hottest names in MMA about the world of competitive fighting and more. Check out You're Welcome with Chael Sonnen every week on Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. Watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand all for free. No credit card needed. No sign-up. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today. Listen up, Amazon Prime members. For a limited time, you can start an Audible membership and save 66% on your first three months, a total of $30 off. That's like getting three months for the price of one. You'll pay just $4.95 per month for the first three months. After that, it's only $14.95 per month. Offer is valid from July the 1st, 2019 through the 31st. Uh, Visit audible.com slash PFF or text PFF to 500-500 to get started today. Uh, I've actually been listening to an audio book on the way into the office for this podcast on Audible. It's called Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It. And really what I'm doing here is I'm learning how to deal with Neil Hornsby and Chris Collinsworth. That's what we're talking about here, negotiating as if my life depended on it. I haven't figured out what I'm negotiating yet. But I know that when we get to negotiations, I'm going to dominate it because of this Audible. So get yours right now. We are live. The podcast is back. We're live on YouTube. And if you're only listening to this on on you know your podcast medium of choice you're missing out because you don't get the visual spectacle that is mike renner's Mm. hair and developing beard
2: uh developing it's not great i mean it's more laziness than a beard to be honest at this point but
1: well that's how all great beards start right you start off lazy. You don't shave I don't think for a I have while. The potential to be great. My, then, uh,
2: if I were to evaluate like a draft prospect, it would be undraftable.
1: <laughs> then you reach like a cutoff point where you're like, you know what? I I, I could maybe turn this into one. Like I I don't need to shave <laughs> again. That's that's how it all starts. But you're you're getting there, Mike. I'm maybe proud of you. In like a decade or so, I'll be able to grow a beard. But. Yeah, But you're starting. You're at least you're on the path. So if you're not watching on YouTube, you're missing out on Mike's glorious facial hair. If you are watching, you get to see it right there. Um, so Steve is back on vacation. Mm-hmm. I'm back. The revolving door of this podcast this summer is uh, a new I feel combination. Like I need to take vacation, out. right? Have we done? Have Have you and I been on the podcast before this? This rotation? I can't even remember? Yeah, I think we have. We did. Like, okay. a couple weeks. ago. Well, anyway, we're back. So it's it's me, Sam Bonson, and Mike Renner back. That's the combination mm-hmm. you've got today. Um, we're still in the depths of summer, so still nothing much is happening. But we are getting closer to training camp. We I've are. seen tweets from. NFL players saying they're putting the training camp destination weather in their app, like mm-hmm. they're adding it yeah. to their their weather app. Um, so everybody is starting to get uh, football's on the horizon, or at least camp is on the horizon, which means we can actually start talking about something sensible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a few things kicking around the NFL, so we'll hit on all those. And the other thing we're going to hit on today is our offensive line rankings, so our sort of preseason. Look into the year Offensive Line Rankings went live on PFF.com. We'll run through those as well, and then we'll get out. Then we'll get out of here. Mm-hmm. So the big topic, Mike, is Melvin Gordon talking about holding out, wants a new contract, wants to get paid, and if they don't want to pay him in Los Angeles with the Chargers, he wants to be traded. Um, and this is sort of coming at the end of an off season where running backs don't matter has been the sort of Topic du jour of you know the analytics community and, and football generally, so it's an interesting time for you know a pretty a very good running back to be making noises and and trying to hold out, particularly coming off the back of the the whole Avion Bell saga.
2: Yeah, and there to me in this conversation there are two very distinct sort of issues at play. One is if you're looking at it from Melvin Gordon's side of things obviously you should be holding out. Yet with the state running backs that are in the NFL with the career lengths that we see from this position, yes, get all your money as soon as humanly possible. There is no reason to be risking uh, you know, your career, which is what you're doing every time you get, the ha- get a handoff, on a rookie deal without you know, sort of guarantees when you're in a position like that, when you are a franchise, you know, in quotation marks, caliber running back. At the other end of the spectrum, though, there's no reason... Any, any team, from the team's perspective, you would just be abs- you'd be crazy to give him an extension. The ones, the likes that we saw Todd Gurley get, which the Rams are now regretting, and basically every team who has signed a running back on that second contract, the guys out there right now: Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman, Lashawn McCoy, David Johnson, Jarek McKinnon, Lamar Miller, and Dion Lewis. Every single one of those teams seemingly regrets their decision. Right to have extended those guys, to give to have given out that big of a contract to those players because of how fickle it can be, because of how injury-prone guys get later on in their careers. So I do think that from the Chargers' point of view, trading is their best bet at this point if, they, if Melvin Gordon really is not going to play.
1: It really is, particularly because trading for the charges would indicate a sophisticated level of thought to the point of understanding that running backs are by and large replaceable, mm-hmm. right? We know that we're better off replacing this guy than we are paying him. And it also represents the knowledge that there's probably some teams out there that haven't realized that yet. So we're better off because Get we know chance. we're better off. And yeah. we're also better off because we know there's a few teams out there dumb enough mm-hmm. to take the other side of it. Um, what's f- so I kind of tweeted the, the, had a two-pronged tweet attack on this that summed up my feelings on it, which is running backs should be in, like, a near-constant state of holding out at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, the second you get a sniff of an excellent campaign or an excellent piece of play yes. where everyone thinks you're good, get more money. Mm-hmm. Try Because what have you got to lose? Because at the moment, you're getting screwed by the system. Yeah. Running backs are the one position where, like, all of their best years are in that first rookie contract. And unless you're a first-round rookie yeah you're you 're getting screwed as a rookie right like your, your, your rookie peed. contract means you 're getting hosed, mm-hmm. so the second you get a good bit of perform, you should be trying to hold out and get a different deal and then the flip side of that is the second a running back tries to hold out for more money, the team should cut bait and move on because <laughs> yeah. it 's just never worth it almost never um, but so we've we 're coming at this from this p f f world of starting to understand that the running backs just are are pretty well replaceable if you look at our p f f war numbers. Um, which are still internal at the moment, but they're, we're going to be sort of using them more and more as the season goes on. Running backs are just so low down on the totem pole when it comes to PFF war compared to other positions. The wins that they account for are so small because everything, all the the legwork is done by the blocking. It's done by the, the scheme. It's done by the quarterback, the passing game, the defense. It's not the running back that's generating most of those mm-hmm. by and large. Um, but we've done some interesting... Um, Kind of work on it what's another sort of fascinating part of it is i think melvin gordon is probably underrated overall um which probably doesn't help his case for holding out in mm-hmm. that i think he is better than people think he is but him fighting for more money is fighting against the perception of where he is not against what he actually is
2: well i think he is one of the best if not the best you know sort of case study for why running backs are so replaceable and why Uh, Is because he's sort of pretty much well-agreed upon that he is one of the better running backs in the NFL. People put him in the top 10 to 15 running backs in league-wide. But over the course of his career, he has one season where he's averaged over the league average for yards per carry. Like Just last year was the first time he ever did that. Never averaged above four yards per carry in the season before that. And that season where he had his best season... His backup came in and outperformed him right. when he was in. So Austin Eckler comes in and averages a higher yards per carry, is more productive on a per play basis than Melvin Gordon. So the fact that a top ten to fifteen agreed upon running back in the NFL can one not give you the not give you automatically a top tier running game, which he's only given you for one year of his career in the NFL, which because you need the offensive line is so much more important for that. And two, be so replaceable on a small sample size, like we saw with Austin Eckler just means that that's why we don't advocate paying these guys a lot of money.
1: So what's interesting is Kevin Cole, one of PFF's new data scientists, he's been doing some work on projecting war using PFF data and sort of diving, getting historically similar players in the PFF database. And the three closest comps to uh, Melvin Gordon were Maurice Jones-Drew back in 2012, Mm -hmm. Clinton Portis back in 2008, and Frank Gore in 2011, all of whom have at one point or other been top-level backs. And again, mm-hmm. all of whom probably wouldn't justify a big-money contract We'd right down. now. At the, yeah. And his value calculation right now is about $4.5 per year um, in terms of contract. Which I'm guessing he's looking for a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm would imagine <laughs> he's looking for significantly more than yeah. $4.5 million. Um, but that's the kind of level you're talking at yeah. if you want to talk about legitimately what the running back is bringing to the table as opposed to what else you need to surround them with. It's it's almost like the same um, conversation with those mid-tier quarterbacks. In order for those guys to do what they need to do, you need to surround them with mm-hmm. the offensive line and the receiving weapons. The running back is the same story except they do less on their own and they need to be surrounded by way more yes. in order for it to work. So they're just fighting this uphill battle uh, in terms of you know respect and, and trying to get money, unfortunately. Yeah. And like
2: I said, it's the... We don't blame Melvin Gordon for asking for it, but you can't blame the team either for just saying there's no no one in our right minds would be reasonable to pay him as much as he's going to ask
1: for. And what's interesting is we're now kind of staring down the battle of this new CBA negotiation, Mm -hmm. um, the collective bargaining agreement that's coming up. And one of the things that you would think needs to happen for running backs to get uh, redressed is this idea of their rookie contract to get fixed, some kind Mm of um, adjustment for outplaying your rookie contract as a running back because that's where those guys are at their best. By the time they're into their second deal, which is where everybody else makes their money, running backs may be done. Yeah. So they kinda need that rookie contract, but every other position actually makes out better with the other with the other way around. So it's difficult to see how you can carve out this Way of fixing the running back contracts without everybody else getting screwed in the process, or at least everybody else getting something they're not interested in, in fighting for.
2: Yeah, I don't know if they would be willing to make a one-positional exception. Right. Without fluid stuff is you know in terms of Ty Montgomery goes from wide receiver to running back, how does that work? And like positional designations in the in the uh, uh, with the franchise tag are already a hairy go to arbitration a yeah. lot and that sort of thing. It's already a gray area there. I'm not sure they'd ever, but. That is realistically the only way that running backs can sort of capitalize and make money going forward because no one's going to be willing to pay them otherwise, it seems. Teams are finally, I would hope, a lot of them are around the league figuring this out.
1: Right. I think really we're just on the precipice of the entire league. I mean, people have been talking about the running back position getting devalued for years. I think we're really on the point of it becoming really, really devalued, where Mm -hmm. it becomes this position where... Guys are just drafted every single year, plugged into the system. You just need a young, able body who hasn't broken down yet, who can take yeah. advantage of your offensive line, your scheme, and, and the passing game that you've got, and the defense you're going to be doing. You know, like Mike Leach in uh, Washington State could put pretty much anybody back there running back because they only run the ball when they're given favorable yeah, box counts. Yeah. They, you know, when the when the look from the defense dictates that we run, at which point pretty much anybody can do it. I, I think we're really at the point where running backs are about to get completely screwed if they haven't been getting screwed enough already, mm-hmm. which is not good for Melvin Gordon's prospects.
2: But as you said, only takes one, and it does. we saw what happened with Le'Veon Bell still getting a large deal this offseason. I wouldn't be surprised if someone is willing to trade with the Chargers and part way with a pick, right. to Then pay him money. That's which the would thing. Be nuts there's in our eyes. Th- there's
1: 32 NFL teams, and some of them have realized this. Most of them, maybe. But there's a few out there that haven't. And the Chargers are probably trying to phone those ones. Yes. Saying, hey, we've got a young, talented running back. Would you be interested in parting with a draft pick? Or maybe two Literally to secure his
2: services. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, good luck to Melvin Gordon. Um, he is an extremely talented player. And it's unfortunate that the mm-hmm. league just doesn't value what he does right now. Um, so, hope he gets his money, but wouldn't mm-hmm. bet on it, really. All right, let's talk about offensive lines, Mike. We've had an off-season worth of movement. We've had free agency. What's really going to give you your running game? Yeah, there you you go. go. What's actually going to generate your running game, which is why Melvin Gordon has typically not had the best stats in the world because the Chargers have been unable to secure a decent offensive line for uh, years. So let's start with that, Mike. Are the Chargers still in the bottom five of the NFL? (sighs) I
2: don't know how they still are. I mean, I do know how they still are because the guys they have drafted have been bad. And just... They signed guys like Mike Pouncey to big deals. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, right tackle still going to be a big issue with Sam Tevy there. The guard position, uh, that fourth lamp. Hopefully, we have to see to him at least yeah, right. Like he like, has to play at some point. At some point, right? they
1: have to put him on the field. And then surely,
2: Dan Feeney was just. That was one of our biggest draft misses to this point. We were high on him similarly. I mean, where they took him was about where we take him, and he has been the, right. arguably the worst guard in the NFL. So that's All the just, more
1: reason to throw Forrest Lamp out there. Yeah, like, How bad exactly. could he be, even if he doesn't know what he's doing? So, it's got to be
2: better. Still, for I think it's now 11 straight seasons, Phillip Rivers has had pass. The off the line for the Chargers has been in the bottom 10 in terms of pass blocking. Yeah not one single season in the last decade that he's had
1: a good pass checking offense, and And that's really amazing when you you talk about wasting a guy's career like if you we talk all the time about your offensive line doesn't need to be amazing it just needs to be not terrible Mm -hmm. right if this if the Chargers had the 15th ranked offensive line for the last 10 years how many rings do you think Philip Rivers has
2: rings I don't know but I mean they're like in the playoffs every year if you just have an average offense, and they're
1: probably in a couple of Super Bowls yeah um, like, that's really you – can, you can point to multiple seasons where the offensive line has been the problem mm-hmm. with the Chargers and Phillip Rivers in particular, who has played some pretty spectacular stuff in the spite of all that pressure. Uh, you know, at times he's had some seasons that were absolutely incredible that were kind of there with that mm-hmm. – or those Eli Manning seasons, that 2011 year where he played incredibly in the face of pressure. But, of course, he had a defense to match with it then. But if you just put that offensive line from terrible to okay –
2: yeah, like because like, if you look at the opposite end of the so Tom Brady, they both are very similar in terms of quick release, protect themselves, not going to bring a lot of pressure onto themselves. Brady's had a top 10 pass blocking offense line pretty much every year for the last decade. He's been on the opposite end of the spectrum, and it's just, I think, the results of their right. spectrum I mean, the franchise other, and offenses have, are indicative of, of that. Yeah,
1: the other way of phrasing that is essentially if you move Dante Scarnecchia from New England yeah. to the Chargers over the last decade—
2: well, they've also there's some personnel scouting and whatnot that goes into that.
1: That's Sure. But it does look like the second important. he left the building that offensive line fell to pieces and mm-hmm. the second he came it back big. Yeah. they managed to transform Marcus Cannon into a good starting right tackle and a triple option guard into a, into a Pro Bowl. Yeah. So it does look a lot like Dante Scarnecchia has, you know, wizardry when mm-hmm. it comes to offensive line coaching.
2: And that's the other thing that's interesting is some offensive line coaching movement this year that I think will be very... uh, Mike Munchak going to the Broncos is one that I really want to see because he has been the, uh, you know, he's been a Hall of Fame offensive lineman as a player, one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL. Consistently, everywhere he's gone, they have had top-tier offensive lines. Broncos have a ton of potential up front. We have them ranked 12th here preseason, I think, with what he brings to the table. uh, And, you know, trying to work that magic on guys like Garrett Bowles, Jawan James, who have... Te's potential over the course of their careers. Juwan James has been fairly solid, but could these guys turn into legit players? And Dalton Reisman there as well, obviously we love.
1: I like that, because we got a lot of pushback for putting the Broncos 12. People saying mm-hmm. it was too high, and this really is the poster child, this offensive line, potentially for just getting to average. There might not be a you know, top 10 player in their starting mm-hmm. five, but all five of them could be above you know, the bottom yeah. half of the league, at which point that'll be a good offensive line, if that's the case. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I do think that if they stay healthy, and they were trending that we were trending towards the 12th spot last year before uh, you know it hit the fan in terms of injuries with Leary going down, Paredes going down, right. uh, Veldt here going down as well. So I do think that this offensive line, if they could just stay healthy, could even outplay that 12th spot very easily.
1: So in the article that you can find on pff.com, we've got them broken down into what, eights, um, into images. So let's hit... One team per eight image All right. uh, and roll through it that way. We've already talked about the Chargers, but let's <laughs> let's start at the bottom, Mike. We've got the Miami Dolphins projected as the 32nd ranked offensive line in the NFL. And if there was a way of ranking them lower than 32nd, <laughs> I think we would find a way to do it because that offensive line looks bad. And that's despite I, having a reasonable left tackle. I, I never understand
2: when you know your offensive line is going to be—I I get that— Dolphins are in rebuild mode. This is not right. they weren't playing for this year anyways. But when you have just an offensive line that on paper is atrocious and you do next to nothing to address it, you're just going into the next season saying, We're toast, you know, we have no chance here because they get they spend a third rounder on Michael Dieter, where the guard position at, you know, Miami has been cursed for it's one of the cursed positions in the NFL. They're just atrocious seemingly every single year, it was similar I think they have the lowest graded guards in the NFL last season. So good luck to Michael Dieter going there, but that's not going to move the needle enough to make this into anything other than a
1: just tissue uh, paper. You know what's, what's really line. sad is that we're going to go – so what's going to happen, right, is we're going to roll into the season. Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to be starting. We're going to get the typical Ryan Fitzpatrick for like five weeks. Mm-hmm. Yolo balls. There'll be one game in there that's amazing, four that are pretty terrible, interceptions, sacks, fumbles. It's going to be a disaster, right? Ryan Fitzpatrick gets yanked. In goes Josh Rosen for year two of just ass kicking behind a terrible offensive line, offensive line. Yeah. and we're going to come out of year two, and it's going to be Josh Rosen's terrible. Everyone that said he was a decent prospect is an idiot. And <laughs> there might not be a worse situation to have thrown a young quarterback into. No, I mean in years like that's last season's Arizona Cardinals offensive line was like historically terrible, um, and I. This offensive line on paper is it can rival it. Yeah, at least Tunsil's
2: good. So yeah, Laramie Tunsell, one of the better left tackles in the NFL. He is above average. That is about all you can say for this offensive
1: line. Right, and at that point, you're like one injury away from just five five turnstiles protecting Mm -hmm. Josh Rosen and wondering why he can't play well. Yeah, which is pretty harsh. All right, let's move on. They're leaning
2: into the tank though, which I can. That'll help. I mean, that'll
1: that'll definitely help the tank. Um, the next eight, we've got 24 through 17. Um, who's the most interesting team on this this little image for
2: you, Mike? I think 24 through 17. I think that the uh, Atlanta Falcons are the most interesting team in this okay. one because of, one, how good they were all of probably a couple of years ago. They were top five offensive line, arguably, in the NFL, Followed all, you know, falling all the way to 22nd here. Mm-hmm. But it also could be... One, it could be worse if Chris Lindstrom, Caleb McGarry don't hit the ground running, but also it could be a lot better. There's just you don't know with two starters, guys right. starting right next to each other, two rookies at right guard and right tackle. So that one's an interesting thing. And then Alex Mack, in his mid-30s, is he going to keep up the high-level play? Or is he going to fall off like we saw from him with Vitray, like we saw from Ryan Schrader in recent years?
1: Yeah, it's a good one to talk about because this is another one we get a lot of pushback for because people go, well, how can they be worse? They addressed it. They, mm-hmm. they they went hard in the draft. Two first-round picks on the right-hand side. That's fixed. Offensive line done. Yeah. Like, okay, but how many first-round offensive linemen come in and play well right away? Now, obviously, last year we had uh, Quentin Nelson, who's basically the best guard prospect we've ever seen. Yeah. Neither of these guys are, are Quentin Nelson in terms of prospect, mm-hmm. right? Now, they may end up being really good players, but most really good offensive linemen do not start day one really well Mm -hmm. they they take a while to get adjusted year one is typically not good and actually if you look at the sort of the data plotting out the the development curve in terms of pff grade by position offensive lineman is one of the more stable you know it doesn't start well it gets better year two year three is where they really hit their stride and they're actually good players at that point Mm -hmm. the ones that are going to be anyway so yeah they did address the offensive line but they probably didn't address it to fix it this year um, that right side still is likely to be an issue this season. The left guard is James Carpenter, so you can't get that carried away. Mm-hmm. You've basically got Jake Matthews. Alex Mack should be good, but as you say, he's getting up there in years. Um, will he maintain that high level or will he start to drop away? So that's you know essentially three out of five positions on your offensive line is at least a question mark. Mm-hmm. At, at the very minimum is a, a, an issue um, that we need to be disproven for for questioning, so yeah, I think I think that you know just below halfway, the lower somewhere in that um, lower third to mid third range is the right kind of area for the Falcons, but it, it's one that could go either way because if those guys do come in and outperform what we expect, they could easily be better.
2: Yeah, and, and that's the thing with these rankings; it's there's so many guys in a starting five that you just don't know what they're going to be. This year. it's so hard to project performance, especially translating from college to the NFL. And then even from NFL year to year. So these are our best guesses. But so the 22 with the Falcons right now is basically saying, hey, uh, past history shows that starting rookies and relying on them, probably not your best bet.
1: Right. You did address it, but don't get too excited Mm -hmm. straight away because that may take a while to manifest itself. All right. What about the next group, Mike? Who's your favorite team in this one to talk about?
2: My favorite group in the next one to talk about we already touched on the Broncos who are Mm 12th. So I will go to the Detroit Lions at 15 because we had said uh, they had just done so much to address it. This was, you know, the sort of, they used the first round around Frank Ragnow last year. They had signed Rick Wagner uh, a couple of years back. Like They had invested a lot. They were trying to install this run game for Matthew Stafford, but it just did not work out last year. Frank Ragnow did not look good at guard. He is now at center. Uh, I just think there was so much potential for this offensive line and why didn't it necessarily gel and come together last year? I'm not necessarily sure. Yeah.
1: And Ragnow, I think is one that is, it's almost a perfect example of the the Falcons duo where I think that will start to pay dividends this year. Mm -hmm. I mean, his start was horrendous. He had two abysmal grades right at the beginning, obviously playing a new position for him guard. Mm -hmm. Moonlighted there before at Arkansas, but he was playing center all the time, basically. Um, moved to guard as a rookie disaster to begin with, started to kind of get his feet underneath him as the season went on. Mm-hmm. And now I think moving back to sender, which is his natural position, you should see an actual good player in year two, not, a, you know, not a, a first rounder or a guy taken at the top of the draft. And you're wondering why is this guy not dominating straight off the bat um, mm-hmm. as a rookie? Yeah, so I, the Lions are interesting. The other interesting team in this group to me is the Los Angeles Rams because yes. they had the league's number one run-blocking offensive line last season. They were the reason why the Rams were able to lose Todd Gurley, install and um, C.J. Anderson, and see no drop-off whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, they would be the reason why uh, Daryl Henderson It looks like Todd Gurley if that happens. Yeah. Um, but there's more question marks there now. They've lost John Sullivan at center, who was, along with Whitworth, a big, a big reason in turning around. What was a terrible offensive line before they got there, um, and they've got they've now got a couple of question marks at guard as well.
2: Yeah, losing Roger Saffold, uh, probably the bigger loss there. He yeah. had a very good season last year. Uh, I don't think that the Sullivan loss is huge, or can, I think it can be mitigated because he was a bit of a liability in pass protection down the stretch. There, you could see that he was just uh, sort of at the end of the line there in that regard. But Austin Blythe was also to me figured out to some degree. In terms of he just couldn't hold up to bull rushes, underside guard at right guard, and got exposed by the Lions, a few other teams down the stretch, guys who just had, you know, were good bull rushing defensive tackles, just owned him. So the interior of that offensive line, I'm not sure who's going to slot in that left guard, whether it's Bobby Evans or Joseph Noteboom, but whoever it is I will not be able to replace Roger Saffold. So the interior, you saw how much interior pressure really affected Jared Goff down the stretch. He did not hold up well. When faced with guys in his face, had some of his worst games there when things started falling apart. And then you have to look at Andrew Whitworth and, you know, 30, was right. he 38 this at upcoming season. <laughs> it has to stop at some point. I mean, it's... He's been elite play. If you just go a tick down from elite play, all of a sudden this offensive line looks far more average and far less imposing than they did four large stretches last season. Yeah, I
1: think the John Sullivan thing will be felt in terms of experience and sort of communication, mm-hmm. line calls, all that kind of stuff. It's going to be felt. Andrew Whitworth is like offensive lineman Tom Brady. You just keep going. At some point he has to stop playing well. Like it can't. Yeah. You. It's not possible for them to just keep going forever.
2: I thought it was going to be last season because right, the it, last it, game – of the year before against the Falcons, the playoff game was his lowest graded game yeah. in like six years. He dropped like, oh, down and then came back up. It, right? No. Yeah. It's,
1: and Brady's done the same thing. It's like every time you start the decline, it's like, oh, this must be <laughs> the end. And then it isn't. They yeah. come back. Um, all right. What about the, are we the last? Yeah, the last. The so we've got the eight. top eight. Um, who are the, who's the most interesting team in the top eight to you?
2: Most interesting team is probably the Colts because they check in at number five. Uh, no real reason there's just no real weakness along here, and you could, if Quinton Nelson really takes a step towards generational dominant every down, uh, Braden Smith, if he improves upon his rookie season, you not only don't have any holes, you have five starters that are legitimately, uh, they have the potential of all these group of all these teams in this top eight to jump leapfrog way up to the top right. and be the number one. Uh, in this group,
1: and this is like the this is like the best case scenario for the Atlanta Falcons. You get your two rookies, mm-hmm. and both of them play, you know, imp- like really that, yeah. well. Like, I mean, obviously Quentin Nelson, he ended up playing essentially at a Pro Bowl level right off the gate. But as we said, this generational best guard we've ever seen. But Braden Smith played really well um, as a right tackle coming mm-hmm. in as well. So I guess if you got two rookies and they played somewhere in the range of Braden Smith, Quentin Nelson, somewhere in the middle between those two, that's about as well. As you could possibly expect that to go um, for the Falcons, yeah. And, and but year two is where you start to see it really exactly. pay off. That's now you've got Nelson, who may end up being the best guard in the NFL this year. You got Braden Smith, who could not just play well for a rookie, but could w- play well overall mm-hmm. and be a good right tackle. Now you have an offensive line A with zero holes, which is the first goal, mm-hmm. right? Just get no weakness. And B, now you're you're. Um, your kind of baseline of the five, your average, your, your mean is actually good. Just growing, Yeah, now you're actually getting mm-hmm. five good players across the board. Now you're starting to approach those Dallas Cowboys offensive lines of the past few years where they had three all pros and two guys that weren't weaknesses, mm-hmm. and you just dominated people. So, yeah, things could be pretty exciting for the Colts. Um. I'm
2: also, I also want to see if the Cowboys, Travis Frederick, is he back to what we saw, right. you know, the player from a couple of years ago. And now a center, probably one of the least valuable positions on the offensive line. They still had a very good offensive line without him just because uh, they were solid at tackle and Zach Martin at guard as well. So I do think, are they going to get back to theirs? Connor Williams in year two, going to make that leap that we've talked about from year one to year two? Because if so, I mean, if Connor Williams takes that four, Travis Frederick's back to his best, this could be the best Cowboys line we've seen since, you know, the DeMarco Murray right. era back then.
1: And then let's let's at least mention the, the best offensive line in the NFL, the team that we have at top, again, is the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, we took a load of crap when we first ranked the Eagles as our number one offensive line. Probably, was it like was two years year, ago? Two years ago, the year before they, went, two the year they won. Two years ago, heading into the year, wasn't yeah. it? It was this offensive line rankings <laughs> two years ago. And. Essentially, we saw it coming. We said, look, this on paper looks dominant. If they finally play up to this level, they will be the best offensive line in the NFL, and they developed into that. What's impressive now is that they have essentially the same group, um, and then the only real question mark is what they do at left guard, whether it's Wisniewski, whether it's Sayamalo playing there. They're giving the (laughs) shot again to Sayamalo to essentially win the job with the understanding that if he can't, they can just throw Wisniewski back yeah. out there and have a reasonable left guard. No, they
2: basically if a guy's not playing well there, they've flipped him in the past. So. Right. And then but the other, that, it's again not a, not necessarily a liability just not quite up to par with the rest of the line.
1: Right, and I think but that's their their thing, right? Mm-hmm. They'll they know that Sam Malo has the higher upside than Wisniewski, so we'll give him a shot to prove he can be a better player. Mm-hmm. And if he does end so up so. being a liability, being the weak link, they know Wisniewski won't be that, so they'll throw him back out there. Mm-hmm. Um, But the other thing is, so Jason Peters has been one of the best left tackles in the league for a long time now, but he's getting up there in age. He's starting to break down physically. We're missing games because he gets injured. Now they have a contingency plan. You know, they draft Andre Dillard um, high in in this draft, who was arguably the best pass blocking left tackle Mm -hmm. in in this entire draft. So now, even if they lose a Jason Peters to the season, which would be a big criticism of, you know, Dallas Cowboys fans, for example. Yeah. Be like, well, if, if Jason Peters goes down for half the year again, then they won't be No, they, know, They've got a they've got, yeah, a, they've got a backup plan a better plan. than Vitae. and probably just with what we've seen with Peters
2: in recent years, he's going to miss games. Right. He's going to get hurt He's going to be an issue. You just it's impossible to stay healthy at his age at this point, thirty seven uh, years old. So I do think though. Andre Dillard was, like you mentioned, the most NFL-ready in terms of pass protection. We say it's tough for rookies to hit the ground running, but I don't think he'll be a liability if thrown, you know, to the fire.
1: Right. So there we go. That's our run through the offensive lines. Obviously, we didn't hit every team, but you can find out our take on every team and where they ranked on PFF.com. The offensive line rankings are still on the front page. I think somewhere along the lines, you'll find them. Dig it out. You'll be able to discover it. It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe Steve is back next week. Is that right? Yes. He's finished his vacations. He's back next week. So next week we should be be back to normal, I think. Uh, But that's going to do it for myself and Mike, Mm -hmm. the combination. If you've been watching on YouTube, thank you very much. Uh, Behold the glory of the facial hair and the hair, the man bun. Um, If you're just listening, then all that was pointless to you, but I'm sure you've enjoyed it anyway. Um, that'll do it for us. We'll be back next week, I believe, with Steve. Uh, make sure you hit the website, pff.com. The fantasy playbook dropped last week. That is killing it for us right now. We're getting a ton of people, way more downloads than we had last year. It's, it's new. It's improved. It's got a whole ton of stuff. The ra- uh, the rankings and the projections are all driven by the PFF data. It's becoming more and r- more robust as the years go on, as we add data scientists to it, Mike. Data scientists I'm discovering is the key, right? <laughs> when it was just us idiots using the data, I think it was good, mm-hmm. but now that you add data scientists well, to it... Well, the
2: science part is the... It, once they get that scientist part, we were just data guys. Right, we are just data guys. And the scientists, we were not.
1: No, now you add scientists to it. Now you're getting some really yeah. special stuff. So, yeah, get in there, get your fantasy guide, sign up to PFF, Edge, or Elite, and you get 365 days of access. Uh, that'll do it for us. Thanks for listening. Uh, we will talk to you next week.